0: Well, a few weeks ago we began a new sermon series for the summer on Jesus' parables titled, Picturing the Kingdom. And we are spending some time looking at these kingdom parables where Jesus tells us things, teaches us things about who God is, what He's like, what His kingdom is like. And parables are essentially stories. Some of them are, are fairly straightforward and, and brief For example, the two we looked at last week about the treasure and the pearl. Um, Others are a bit more complex, like today's parable about the generous landowner, or it's often called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Jesus was a a master storyteller. And often he begins telling these, these stories, these parables, and you think to yourself, um, I, I know where this is going. I, I've heard this kind of thing before. And then all of a sudden, there's a, a twist in the plot, something you didn't see coming. And, and often, I've had this uh, happen to me, maybe it's happened to you, often a realization begins to set in. As Jesus is telling this story, you, you realize, I, I think Jesus is talking about me. The, that one character in the story, I'm a lot like that person. And so it's no longer just a, an entertaining story. Jesus is probing our hearts. He, he wants us to see just how surprising God's kingdom is, how surprising His grace is. And so this morning as we look at this parable, um, get ready to be surprised. Now, some, many of you are very familiar with this parable, but maybe it will come with some new surprise today. Uh, get ready to hear Jesus talk about God and his kingdom, but not only that, um, he's also going going to be talking about you and me. So let me read the passage for us, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, that's on page 825 in the Pew Bible. This is God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Let's ask for God's help one more time. Our God and Father, we we pray that you would give us receptive hearts to your word this morning. Would you work in us? Would you help us to understand the, the surprising nature of your grace and your generosity and our own temptations um, for how we look at those things? We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the the outline this morning, very simple, three points. Uh, First, understanding the parable. Second, the purpose of the parable. And then third, we'll consider responding to the parable. So first, understanding the parable. I just want to walk through it with you so we can kind of get the lay of the land and understand what's going on here. And as you can see in In verses 1 and 2, the the story begins with a scene that was very common, at at least very common for Jesus and his disciples. They had witnessed this kind of thing many times, a vineyard owner hiring day laborers. And He he shows up at the marketplace in the center of the the village around uh, 6 a.m., and that market was like a job center. Day laborers would gather there early in the mornings hoping to be hired. Um, If they got to work that day, They would earn some money with which they could buy food for their family. And so the vineyard owner comes, he hires some of the men. And and notice there in verse 2, look at verse 2, the the agreed-on wage, a denarius. That's the standard wage for a a full day's work by a laborer. Full day being roughly 12 hours, approximately sunrise, sunrise. To sunset. And so as the story opens in these first two verses, there's nothing out of the ordinary here. Uh, but in the next few scenes, the story begins to move in, in very surprising directions. And so as we continue on later in the morning, the vineyard owner goes back to the marketplace. Look uh, beginning in verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. He goes back three more times uh, around 9 a.m., then again at at 12 p.m., at noon, and then even at at three. And uh, a competent vineyard owner would not need to do this. See, a, a vineyard owner who knew what he was doing, who had experience with this, he, he would know right up front how many workers were needed for the job that day. He would hire them all first thing in the morning. Why? So they could put in a full day's work, so he could get the most out of these laborers. But, but notice, he's not even done yet. He goes back again, verses 6 and 7. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. The 11th hour, so uh, approximately 5 p.m. now. There, there's barely an hour left before the, the end of the workday, before the sun sets. And, and you've got to think at this point, how much work will really get done by these, these last hired workers. I mean, by the time the men walk from the marketplace to the vineyard and get set up, uh, there's not going to be much daylight left, right? And so it's a very odd set of circumstances, these multiple hirings throughout the day. Now let me point out that the ESV makes it sound like these, these others who are hired later in the day are are lazy. It uses the word idle. Why do you stand here idle? But the idea behind that word translated idle is really unemployed. You see, they're, they're not lazy, they're eager to work, but as they tell the, the owner, no one wants to hire us. That's why we're still standing here, even at the end of the day, even with an hour left, just hoping uh, to be hired. Nobody wants us. They're, they're like the kids on the playground. You know, the the ones who never get picked for the the kickball teams. And maybe some are getting up there in years. Perhaps others are are disabled in some way. Um, From a purely pragmatic perspective, these aren't people um, you would pick for manual labor. And yet the owner hires them anyway. So strange. Why does he do this and, and as you know we're looking at the story unfold thinking maybe this guy doesn't know what he's doing but that's not the case rather this owner is compassionate and that becomes clearer later in the story but it, but even here he knows that these men standing there at the end of the day they've been waiting all day desperate to be hired he knows they need work they have hungry families at home and he wants to help and so like I said, uh, Jesus' disciples listening to this parable, they, they would have been scratching their heads. This is, this is really um, abnormal. What is this all about? This wasn't normally done. And then continuing on in the, in the next scene, it's the end of the workday. Time to pay the workers. And look at what happens in verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Again, strange, not typically done. Normally you would pay those hired first. Uh, you'd pay them first. But you know, maybe they're they're sitting there thinking, or standing there thinking, well, he's the boss. <laughs> you know, okay, we'll we'll go with what he what he says, but what happens next in verse 9 is the real shocker. Look at verse 9. When those hired about the 11th hour came, so those hired last, when they came, each of them received what? A denarius. The guys who barely worked an hour. You know, they they probably didn't even break a sweat. By that time in the day, you know, it's cooled off a bit. They haven't worked very long. The guys who worked barely an hour receive a full day's pay. A full day's pay. Now, you know what the all-day workers are thinking at this point, right? Uh, You know they're, they're thinking, well, if they get that much... (laughs) <laughs> How much are we going to get? And, and we hear them in verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. So that's what they thought. They thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. <laughs> now if you can kind of put yourself in these men's shoes, you're, you're standing there thinking, what? <laughs> uh, hold on a minute uh we broke our backs all day long in the hot sun and and we got paid the same as these other guys who worked a fraction of the day it, it doesn't seem fair does it some of you are on the on the justice scale you're high justice people you have a strong sense of justice and as you see this this uh story unfold you're thinking this is just wrong we, we have to call the labor board. This needs to be reported. As you can imagine, the men are angry. <laughs> wouldn't you be? I mean, if Amon tried to pull this with his crew, uh, the, the outcome wouldn't be pretty. I mean, they, they'd tar and feather him. He'd never hear the end of it. And likewise, these first workers, verses 11 and 12, on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. I mean, you sympathize with them, right? Uh, I do. Uh, they worked more. They should earn more. It only seems fair. And... and I think the thing that's hard for us is, is clearly in the story, the owner represents God, as, as the owner of the vineyard does in many of Jesus' parables. And so maybe as you're starting to get what's going on here, you're getting a little uncomfortable. What is Jesus saying to us? Is, is Jesus saying that, that God is unfair? Is Jesus telling us that, that God um, shows favoritism? Well, look at the owner's reply. It begins in verse thirteen, and he he makes three points. And the, number one, he says, "No injustice has been done." Verse thirteen. But he replied to one of them, "Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius?" He promised to pay them a denarius, a full day's wage. He kept his promise. He he honored the terms of the contract. They really can't fault him on that point, can they? They they got what they agreed to receive. So that's the first point. No injustice has been done. He also goes on to say, number two, that it's, it's his money, and he's free to do with it what he wants. Verses 14 and 15. Uh, Take what belongs to you and go... I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? You know, we, we hear that response and, and we might not like it. It might sound a bit self-serving, but he's right, isn't he? He can do what he wants with his, resor- with his own resources. And then number three, his third response The problem's not me, it's you. It's not me, it's your heart. He says there at the end of verse 15, or do you begrudge my generosity? Literally, he says, is your eye evil because I am generous? The the evil eye being a way of speaking about jealousy and envy. And this is really the heart of the matter. This is the the heart of the parable. The the anger and resentment that the whole day workers feel, the, the agitation that they're experiencing, it's not because the owner is unjust. It's not because he turns out to be an uncaring man and doesn't do what's fair. In fact, this owner, the vineyard owner, has shown himself to be a man of integrity. He upheld the the deal that they made. He's also shown himself to be a man of uh, really stunning generosity. I mean, he didn't have to hire anybody, but he did. And he certainly wasn't obligated to pay uh, those one-hour workers the way he did. And if, you, uh, if you're in business, you know, from a business standpoint, the way this guy runs his operation is, is entirely foolish, right? I mean, that's not how you make a profit. But, but this man's not simply concerned with profit. You see, it's out of his compassion and kindness and, and goodness, he gave those last hired way more than they deserved, more than they could have imagined receiving. And so the, the problem here, this conflict, is not about pay structure ultimately. The problem is the all-day worker's hearts. As the, the owner points out, they, they resent his generosity Toward others. It's as, you know, it's as if in their minds they're thinking that others' good fortune means some kind of loss for them. And they feel entitled to more. And the parable ends. It's a strange story, isn't it? Uh, it raises all kinds of questions. What is going on here? What is this really about? And so second, let's consider the purpose of. Of the parable. What is this parable all about? And it's important for us to see that this story that Jesus crafts intentionally, it it intentionally moves toward that point of conflict. That that moment where the the landowner and the and the first hired workers are, are engaged in that exchange where the workers are upset. And you think about it. The way Jesus has the, the landowner operate in this story, um, if he had just simply paid them in the order they were hired, you know, you think of these men coming up in a line, if he had simply paid them in the order they were hired, those hired first uh, would have received their pay, left, gone home. They wouldn't have known or cared what the others had been paid. But, but he intentionally reverses the order so that they can see what happens, And he he kind of provokes them, the the landowner does. He kind of provokes these workers and he he uses that conflict to expose their hearts. Like I said, that final question that he asks, it's really key to understanding this parable. Do you begrudge my generosity? Or the NIV puts it um, very helpfully. Are you envious because I am generous? And then this story ends, no resolution. Jesus wants us, He leaves us wrestling with whether we're like that first group of workers. Comparing blessings. Resenting God's generosity toward others. Envious about what they have and what we don't. And, and if we even just step back from the story for a moment and, and think about the context, it becomes even clearer that this is what Jesus is getting at. Just stay with me for a moment as we think about the context. Jesus told this parable to His disciples. That's important to recognize. He told this parable to His disciples because of their temptation to be envious of God's generous grace toward others. I had us... I had the Scripture reading be um, the the last half of Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Umberto read it for us earlier in the service. Recall what's going on there. You have that story of the rich young man, and he can't bear to give up all of his possessions and wealth to follow Jesus, and he goes away sorrowful, and and Peter, as he often does, pipes up in chapter 19, verse 27. "Uh, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? kind of sounds like those first workers, right? We, we've been working in the sun, toiling. Uh, we deserve to be rewarded. So Peter wants to know, what are we going to get for all the sacrifices we've made? And and to my surprise, maybe it surprises you as well, Jesus doesn't do what he does other times with Peter. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he says, you're going to be richly rewarded. You're going to rule with me on thrones in the coming kingdom. And and then he goes on to promise, chapter 19, verse 28, that that every disciple, every every follower of Christ who sacrifices for the kingdom will be honored greatly in the coming kingdom. A hundredfold, he says. And then chapter 19 ends with, with Jesus saying, but many who are first will be last, and the last first, which we've heard at the end of our passage, the, the chapter break between 19 and 20 is unfortunate. Jesus isn't done teaching his disciples. He goes on to give this ki- this kingdom parable. The, he- the kingdom of heaven is like, and then the parable, and then Jesus repeats that saying, so the last will be first, and the first last. You see, Jesus knows his disciples' hearts. Jesus knows our hearts. Whenever we talk about sacrifice, whenever we talk about Serving God and rewards and, and things like that, some really ugly attitudes begin to show up in us. Things like envy, and jealousy, and comparison and entitlement, uh, rivalry. In fact, just a little bit later in chapter 20, what do we see James and John doing? They're scheming for the top spots in Jesus' kingdom. The seats on Jesus' right and left, the places of of highest honor, and the other disciples catch wind of this, and and they're angry. (laughs) They're all jockeying for position. They want to be better. They want more. They think they're entitled to more. And that is why Jesus tells this story. And here's how I, I summarize the message of this parable, what it's getting at. It's this, all that we have, all that you and I have, all that you and I are now, and, and every blessing we'll enjoy, every reward we'll receive, every good thing we'll experience in God's coming kingdom, is all a gift of His generous grace. It's all a gift. Everything is a gift. But that's not it. And... When we forget that, when we forget that every good thing in our lives now and every, every good thing in the future to come is coming from God's super abundant generosity, we become envious of others' blessings. We become jealous. We become resentful toward them and, and even at times toward God. That, that's, that's what this parable is all about. And we don't talk about envy very much, do we? I was reflecting this past week. I don't think I've ever preached on it. Never. It's probably been mentioned, but it's never been a whole sermon. You know, envy is one of those things we can hide from others for the most part, right? It goes on inside of us. It's a matter of our hearts. Um, others don't see it, and so we kind of reason with ourselves. It's it's not really that big of a deal. It's not harming anyone else. Um, but in reality, envy is such an ugly and, and destructive way of being. Uh, such an ugly and destructive sin. You know, it, it harms us. It harms our relationships with others. It harms our relationship to God. Just consider what it, what it does to you personally. You know, envy makes you miserable, doesn't it? I mean, some sins are attractive because they hold out the promise of, of some kind of enjoyment, at least for a time. But what does envy really offer? It offers bitterness, uh, discontent, uh, it offers to rob you of your joy, It leads to pessimism and cynicism and and anger. Um, Do you want to know the secret to a soul-crushing, joyless life? Envy. Envy. That's what envy offers. Uh, It harms our relationships with others. Uh, I came across a great statement this week about envy. and, And this author said, envy turns friends into enemies. It turns friends into enemies. You see, the, the envious heart believes that others are standing in the way of its joy. You, you think of maybe the, the married woman who, who desperately wants to be a mother. And she hears that one of her close friends is, is pregnant, maybe for the second or third time. And envy says, that blessing was supposed to be mine she stole it from me. Or, or a friend has the house you want, or the career you want, or whatever it is you want, and, and you take it as a personal offense. It's as if, uh, God's generosity, His, His goodness and His grace is, is a limited resource. And, and the more grace He gives to my friend, the less grace there is for me. And we end up viewing friends as as threats as as roadblocks to our happiness but envy also harms our relationship with god it doesn't just do damage to us it doesn't just destroy relationships with others it it harms our relationship with god you see when we're consumed with envy we're like that first group of workers accusing god you're not fair you're unjust. You know, we, we complain. He's, he's not treating me fairly if others have what I don't have. And and most of you know, I, I recently returned from a three-month sabbatical. And I had planned to do a, a lot of hiking during that sabbatical. But about six weeks in, I, I injured my knee. And the doctor said, no more hiking. <laughs> no more hiking, at least until I finished a sabbatical physical therapy program, which ended up taking a few months. And, and early on, especially when I, when I was still on crutches and just laying in bed, icing my knee, um, I struggled with this a bit. You know, I, I would see photos of people uh, and their outdoor adventures on social media, and I would find myself saying, you know, God, I just pastored through a pandemic, don't you owe me more than this? It's foolish. I mean, how many people get to enjoy a three month sabbatical? Not many. I mean, it's not like God was being stingy with me. It's foolish. God's no one's debtor. But that's what envy does to us it, it distorts our thinking. And rather than seeing God as our amazingly generous heavenly father, we, we view him as a miser, a, a harsh taskmaster who's cheating us out of what we've worked so hard for, what we deserve, and, and envy keeps us from enjoying the, the millions of grace blessings that God fills our lives with every day. And so Jesus tells this parable. It's both an encouragement to rejoice in God's grace, to rejoice in His, his generosity, and it's also a warning about the danger of envying His grace in other people's lives. And so we've talked about how to understand the parable, the the purpose of the parable. Um, Third, I want to talk about responding to the parable. Um, Jesus' stories are not just stories. Uh, One author called them stories with intent. He he intends for us to hear and and respond to what He's saying. And so I want to give you three responses to consider as we've looked at this parable. And number one, confess your envy. Confess your envy. As I, as I said earlier, envy is one of those sins we, we tend to hide. You know, We make excuses for it. We kind of rationalize it away. And, and we can hide it from others, but not from God. We, we know that. God knows our hearts. Uh, bring this struggle, if it is your struggle, bring it out into the open. Bring it into the light before God. You you will not be able to conquer envy if you aren't honest with God about the problem. And, And I would encourage you, don't just confess in general. You see, if you struggle with envy, you don't just envy in general. You envy specifically. And so be specific. Where do you really struggle? Maybe... Maybe it has to do with possessions. You see what a friend or a neighbor has, and you just you can't get over it. Or, or maybe it's the opportunities that, that they've received. Uh, maybe it's not a, a material thing that you're envious of, but just another person's you know gifts or personal qualities. Uh, whatever it is, confess that particular struggle to God. Bring it before Him. He promises to pardon you. He promises to forgive and and ask Him for His help to change. But number two, thank God for blessing the person you envy. Thank God for blessing the person that you envy. And and this comes from an author named Tilly Dilhay. She wrote a book about envy. It's called Seeing Green. And, And I said earlier... Envy does what to friends? It turns them into enemies. And what did Jesus tell us to do for our enemies? Pray for them. Pray for them. It, this is a whole different way of, of thinking about the people we envy. Bring them before God in prayer. And not with an imprecatory prayer. <laughs> but, but praying God you know, I thank you that you've blessed them with these things. I thank you that you've enriched their lives with whatever it is, or you've gifted them in such a way that they're able to, to glorify you with the things you've given them. Uh, pray that He would continue to, to bless them and show them His favor. You know, the temptation is God, okay, you gave them enough. Dry, you know, stop it now. <laughs> no more. Pray that God would continue to be gracious to them. I pray that they would enjoy and appreciate God's blessings in their lives. You know, when you begin to pray that way, when, when you, you are praying for this friend who's become an enemy because they have something you don't have, it can really retrain your heart. It can teach you to rejoice when you see God's grace in their life rather than resenting it. And then the, the third and, and final uh, response, and, and I'll finish up with this one. Refocus on God's generous grace. Refocus on God's generous grace. You know, if, if you and I are always focused on, on ourselves and what we lack and on others, and, you know, the horizontal view our hearts are just going to be filled with jealousy, consumed with envy. And you, you overcome envy. You fight against envy by refocusing on the, on the vertical view, on, on the God who is stunningly generous to his people. And, and the gospel is key to this. You, know, you and I are so sinful and broken, uh, we could never earn God's favor. We're we're like those last workers in the story. You know, we've got nothing to commend us to God, just our our sins and our failures, but God lavishes his grace on us in Jesus Christ. You know, John tells us that that from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace and grace upon grace. That that is how God treats us. He is that that generous vineyard owner. We're we're saved by grace. We're welcomed by grace. We're sustained every moment by grace. We're completely dependent on the generosity and the goodness and the grace of our Heavenly Father. He gives us so much more than we deserve. So much more. And when we let the Gospel refocus our perspective you know, uh, get us off of everything we lack and all the things we want, but God won't give to us. When when we start refocusing on God and His generosity, we, we start to see His goodness everywhere. We start to see His grace everywhere. You know, it's it's the air we breathe. It's, it's the sun shining on us. It's friends and family who love us. It's uh, the taste of fresh strawberries, the beauty of music... Um, Deep belly laughs. It's just everywhere. You're just stunned. God, you are so good to me. And there's a billion other ways that His grace shows up in our lives every day. It's just this steady stream of goodness and blessing and grace coming from our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. And so you, you slay the green-eyed monster. You know, that, that image that's often used for envy. The green-eyed monster, this grotesque beast that's not outside of us, but inside of us. You slay the green-eyed monster by learning to see God's goodness and grace everywhere. By being stunned at just how generous our God is to us in Jesus Christ. And so if if you struggle with envy, and I think we all do to some degree, if you struggle with envy, refocus, refocus on God's generous grace. Delight yourself in your heavenly Father who just lavishes His grace on you in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, we we do pray that You would forgive us for such distorted attitudes of heart and thinking and um, ever (laughs) doubting Your goodness and your, Your grace toward us. Would You help us to be a people who are so fixated on Your lavish generosity in Christ that we can rejoice in the good You do to others so that we could... Pray for others when we see you blessing them so that we can be content and delight ourselves in in all that you are for us. We, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.